Folks hereabouts say Brer Rabbit's leaving home. I say he's heading for trouble. If it weren't for the fact that we like the taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder-high waist. Soarin' to tower. We are ready for takeoff. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 612, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcasts and chats every Wednesday night on Facebook, videos, blogs, special events, books, tours, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or you've been hundreds of times, if you're planning a vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. And if you're a new listener, thank you, welcome. Please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, I want to invite you to join us as we discuss our Disney treasures, collectibles, collections, and favorite items we've acquired over the years from the Disney parks, Marvel, and Star Wars. We'll not only share stories of when, why, and how we've added them to our collections, but the why they are important and valuable to us. We're also going to discuss collecting in general, including why we collect, how we display, defining quote-unquote value, how-to, holy grails, and more. I'll then share how you can virtually display and share your collection in and with our community. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package, including my brand new Disney Interviews book, which you can find at DisneyInterviews.com. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information, updates, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Deep down, we're all collectors. Everybody collects something, whether it be a single item as a souvenir or a comprehensive set of different things. And we often enjoy, I think, having tangible reminders of a, a, a thing or a place that we enjoy. And what's a quote-unquote collectible is some, somewhat subjective because it could be something that's designated as a collection where you have to sort of go and collect them all or something that's personal and we define and create or even just a single item that has significance and meaning. And when it comes to Disney, I think we all have our own, quote-unquote, Disney treasures. Uh, items that we've accumulated, sought out, collected, displayed, stored, and yes, even treasured. And so this week, we're going to look at some of our personal favorite Disney treasures and collectibles and collections and share them with you 
and invite you to share your collection as well. And before we get into exactly how, where, and when we're going to do it, I want to introduce my friend, fellow podcaster, author, former cast member, and returning guest, Mr. Connor Brown from WDWOpinion.com. Lou, thank you for having me. Can't wait to talk about our pet rock collections. There's so many of them. I, I, how, it's like, how do you pick a favorite? How do you pick a favorite child? I don't know how to pick a favorite pet rock. Well, if we're both going to be talking about our pet rock collections, it's, it's going to be a very, very um, short show. But, you know, this is an interesting topic. And, and we were, were talking about this and you said you suggested this as something because I think, like I said, not only are we both collectors, but I think that everybody whether they designate themselves as a collector or not, is in some way a, a collector or has a collection. And I think, especially here in Disney, um, one man's trash might be another person's treasure. What we consider a collectible might be, quote-unquote, junk to somebody else. But just by you know virtue of, of defining what it is that we're thinking and talking about, when we think of collectibles and collections and, and personal treasures, what's the first thing? Like, what, what comes to your mind? For me, it's not so much an actual collection, like something that was created to be collectible, right? I mean, I have plenty of Disney pins. I have plenty of Disney Funko Pops. I have plenty of, of tchotchkes like that. But for me, when I, when I think of a collectible, I think of something that I sought out or has significance to me in some ways. So a lot of what I have and what we're going to talk about from my end of things are things that are sentimental to me and I've collected them and I've consciously not thrown any of them away because they mean something to me. They mean something about a time in my life, about a uh, they signify a memory that I had in Walt Disney World. But Lou, I'm much more of the, not a lot of these things are even really things you would go out and buy. They're just kind of, some things are just things that happened upon me um, um, in a lot of ways. So my collection, quote unquote, of Disney stuff, I don't think is, is you know, as cut and dry as a lot of people think, you know, it's not a lot of stuff you can buy off the shelves and, and whatnot, but it has very, very important significance to myself. My curiosity is incredibly peaked. <laughs> this one. You know, because when I think a lot of times when we talk about collectibles and collections and, and, you know, I sort of keep using this word treasures, the idea of value comes to mind. And I think, value is is incredibly sub subjective because value to me is not what it is you know insurable for or what you're going to get for it on eBay but what it really means to us and i think some of the things that are most valuable to us might be meaningless or worthless to others and then again sometimes because because we value it its subjective value increases to other people because there's all these different things that play into you know, what makes something valuable, whether it's age and supply and demand and and rarity, um, you know, materials, right? There's this objective value to things, and then there's a subjective value that we place on it as well. Yeah, I mean, I got a big crap of worthless stuff over here, so, <laughs> you know, there's definitely going to be, you know, people who are like, well, why would you ever want that? And, and 
that's that that's fine but put yourself in your in 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 my shoes and in Lou's shoes and I know there's some sort of weird thing that you kept from a Disney trip long ago that seems completely worthless but for whatever reason you've held on to it for you know years decades however long because for whatever reason it it means something to you when you look at it it means something to you it might bring up a memory um so yeah it, it's definitely there's no like cut and dry definition of what we're talking about but but we definitely all uh are impacted by by what we're going to share here today yeah and we're going to do something a little bit different today too we're going to look at some of our favorite treasures and, and collectibles, some of the things we've accumulated over the years. But because we can only show you so much via audio on the podcast, I'm also going to post photos of these on the WW Radio site in the show notes. Uh, maybe I'll even post some portions of the video of what we're recording. And I'll also um, share them with you on social, on Instagram and Facebook. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to share some of your favorites as well, because I want to know and see not only what you collect, but I want to know your why. And I'll explain how, when and where at the end of the segment. Um, and I think this is going to be interesting, not just for the two of us, but for you the listener, because we've we've talked about collecting many times over the years on past shows uh, and the Facebook group, even going back to the old discussion forum days. And, you know, I'll, I'll, if you've ever watched a Wednesday night WW Radio live show, you've seen a lot of the things that are in my collection uh, because you, you know, I invite you to come into and look into my home and my office. And, you know, I have so many of these items on the shelves, um, both in and out of boxes. And, you know, Connor, as I was thinking about this segment before we started recording, you know, for me, you know, I think why is such an important question in a lot of different aspects of our lives. And I, and I got to thinking about, you know, why? Why do we not only collect, but why do we display them? You know, who is it for? Is it for us or the people that come in either in person or virtually into our homes or offices? Um, you know, is it because it makes us feel good when we look at them and, and the memories that we have and these, you know, emotional, so many of the things that I look around, for example, my office and when it catches my eye, it brings me to an emotional connection that I have to an individual or individuals, not necessarily just a place or an event for a lot of these things, very, very deeply and meaningfully connected to my childhood. But but what's the why in terms of not just collecting, but putting them out on display? As Disney fans, there's two phases of life we're always in. We're either in Walt Disney World or we're planning for the next Walt Disney World trip. We're, we're jonesing to get back to Walt Disney World on our next trip. I think displaying these artifacts, these tchotchkes, these memories, call them whatever you want, displaying them in our house so that when we walk by them every day, um, when we invite others into our house to see it, um, it triggers a memory, but it also reminds us that, hey, in, in, in however many time, however long, we're going to be back in our happy place. So it's a way to always have Disney in our lives, even when we can't be in Orlando 
But then on the other side, like you said, when you invite people in to your office every Wednesday, when I invite people over to my home, these are memories you you can share with them, um, which I think is is awesome and 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 it's great. But also, if you are having a little bit of a down day, it is nice to just not even have to search for a memory. You just stand up, you see something on the wall, see something on your bookshelf, and a memory comes up and all of a sudden you're happy again. Yeah, and I think that's really at the core of it, right? Like at the core of everything Disney, it's about storytelling. And for us, it's it's about the stories that are behind these objects, these artifacts, right? The, the when and where we obtain them. Um, you know, and even that is interesting too because the sourcing of, of so many of these things, the the provenance, as you will, may have come from our childhood. They may have come from our travels. They may have come from an online search for some of these items. Um, you know, and, and if you are a collector or have a collection or are looking to start, and we'll talk about that too, you know, where do you go and find some of these things? It's not just on Amazon or eBay. Um, my parents had an antique business when I was a kid, so I learned a lot about going antiquing and, and going into little roadside stores and junk stores. And I love, go, I love going to estate sales uh, because you never know what you might find in there, especially, you know, there's a lot of times if, if somebody passes, things are just put out for sale and people don't even know what some of these things are. I still believe, Connor, that that one day I'm going to go to an estate sale and somebody's going to go, yeah, my grandfather had this comic book collection. I don't know, Amazing Fantasy. It's number 15. Like, who wants number 15? It's going to be there. I, I'm, I'm sure the first appearance of Spider-Man is going to uh, is going to be there for me in the future. But uh, in the past, um, there have been, for years, if, at Disneyana conventions at California in Florida, and there's collectors groups on Facebook. So there's, there's so many different ways, especially now with how connected we are from a technological perspective to not just find the items that you're looking for, but find out more about them too. Yeah, you hit it on the, uh, the nail on the head with the estate sales and the yard sales because so many people have been to Disney World once, maybe twice, it's not that big of a thing like it is for for you, for for me, for our friends listening right now. So they have like one or two little mementos that they might not have sentimental value to, but could be pretty cool to to pick up. So yard sales, estate sales, I love doing that. I you can find like a lot of I feel like everyone buys a coffee mug in Disney World, right? So you can get some super old school ones, but that's kind of almost part of the fun. I think when you think about Things like Funko Pops, pins, those are Disney and Funko says, hey, we're releasing this one at this time. So the thrill is just as much getting it, acquiring it, finding it as it is obtaining it and having it for for years on end. And that's kind of what the thrill is with those estate sales, with eBay, things like that. It's the hunt is just as fun as the actual item a lot like the planning of a Disney vacation is just as fun as going on a Disney vacation. Lou, what was that word you used? Provenance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, we didn't all graduate from law school. Let's tone it down a little there, champ. All right. This is my favorite collectible is my thesaurus. So oh, just great. <laughs> no. Um, you know, we, so we were, we were talking about the, the why, and I want to just quickly circle back to it because again, it's, 
you know, why do we, it's not just why we buy things, right? We go to Disney World, we, we want to have this thing as a, a memento, it's a, it's a souvenir. And then I think there's another question in terms of, you know, how do we choose what we hold on to? Why do we save things? And then for some items, Connor, you know, you talked about things like Funko Pops. I think that's a great, you know, modern example. There's levels of collections and collectings, right? So sometimes you buy a Funko Pop because you just dig it, man, and you like the way it makes you feel. But there's this also idea when you bring up the word collecting and collections, this idea of being a completist, right? Well, mm-hmm. if I have one, now I have to get the whole thing. And sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds. You know, some people say, well, I'm only going to collect Haunted Mansion pins. 6,000 Haunted Mansion pins later, you're still trying to find one. So are you more of a completist or that individual item has to have meaning for you? The individual item, for sure. And especially when I'm in a park, I'm very utilitarian in that sense where it's great to put a lot of stuff on display, hang it up on the walls. But I love something that I can also use for another purpose. Now, I'm not going to share any of those like souvenirs that I buy because um, the the unfortunate part is when you do use them, they do end up, you know, getting some wear and tear on them and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I this is a very... Um, I feel like you're my therapist with, with this, that how I'm about to answer this. I, it is not healthy for me to become a completist. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't <laughs> think that's a path. Me, my friends, my family want me to go down. So I say, you know what? I really like uh, the, that Funko Pop because it looks great. I don't need to know what part of collection it's from. I don't need to know what series it is or whatever. I don't even know what need to know what the terms are. I'm just going to buy that one. So as a Funko Pop collector myself, um, although I will tell you, quick story, when Funkos first came out, they were they were like my version of like Vinylmations. I'm like, oh, these things are awful. They're ugly. I'm never going to collect one. And now I look around my room and I probably have close to 100 Funko yeah, you got, Pops. Yeah. Um, in the box or out of the box? Um, I think all of mine are in the box. That a boy. We can continue yeah, this conversation then. Perfect. Oh, Okay. I've been tempted. Every now you know, and then I'm tempted to take one out, but. Can I share, I'm, I want to share my favorite Funko Pop that is not, oh, wait, it might now be part of the Disney realm. It's a Princess Bride one, okay? <laughs> but here, I just want to show it to you. The reason I love it is because it's in Diego Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. I wasn't going to take it out of a, its box, and I haven't, but I did lift the lid one time. <laughs> And if you lift the lid, you can see right there on the, it says, my name is Diego Montoya. You oh, my- that's awesome. That's incredible, right? So, yeah. that. So I might have opened all of the other ones once I opened that one, but they're still in the box. Now I'm looking up at all my Spider-Mans. I'm like, I think I need to have an unboxing day. Just, oh, yeah. just take them all out and see, see what happens. See what so, hidden stuff is in there. Right. Uh, all right, so look, let's get it. You know, so as long as you started showing, let's let's get into it. And because you are my friend and my guest, and I'm incredibly curious as to where you are taking this this topic and your collection, I, I invite you to please share your first, share its meaning, share its. I won't use another fancy word. Share its history. Um, you know where it came from, why it has significance to you, etc. So, my first thing is something I don't 
think I don't think you could find this on eBay. I'm I'm maybe some other people might have it ar- around here or or around the world or or whatever. But so I was a cast member um, in 2015 and 2016. I worked front desk at the Yacht and Beach Club resorts, and then I also worked um, on Seven Dwarfs Mine Train in the Magic Kingdom. I was on the col- uh, Disney College program, so I had a bunch of roommates who were also cast members. And um, one roommate worked in quick service at Hollywood Studios, um, so like Sunset Market, th- that that sort of area. He invited me to go to a cast member preview of an event, and. Um, the ticket that they gave all the cast members was really, really, really cool looking. And I kept that. I don't think he knows that I kept it, but he left it in my car and it's mine and it's been mine for, for years now. And I'll hold it up to the camera now. It is a cast member preview uh, ticket for the Osborne family spectacle of dancing lights, right? So it says... Um, Thursday, November 5th, 9 to 11 p.m., Streets of America. And it's a big ornament, um, but it's plastic. You know, just it, it's kind of made out of the same material that your Disney ticket would be made out of. Um, but it's a big red ornament, uh, or I guess it's a big red light bulb. I should be more specific with that. Um, you know, really well done. But Lou, why this is significant for me, this was the last year of... The, the 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 dancing lights, the spectacle of dancing lights. So after this year, after 2015, it closed to make way for um, Galaxy's Edge, Toy Story Land, all that stuff. Um, so th- this, uh, I don't really get upset when things leave Walt Disney World. I'm 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 one of okay. It's a. It's unfortunate that this thing is leaving, but I'm excited about the next thing that's coming. I'm very much, you know, we have to keep marching forward and things like that. But I will say, of everything that has left the spectacle of dancing lights, that's the one thing I do really, really miss. Because I would go every year, and every year I would be blown away. I would forget how absolutely incredible it was, how just standing there, taking it all in was fantastic. But then as it would go through its musical progressions, how awe-inspiring it all was. So this, because it's something that only cast members could get because it was its last year, um, because I had a great time at that event with fellow cast members. Um, that's why this thing is is very, very meaningful to me. And I love it, right? I love everything about that. Like you, you know, there. I'm sad when things go away, but I understand that it's because something is probably coming that may be quote unquote better. Uh, it's actually going to lead me in, into my first one. But I love how something as simple as that can conjure up those memories for you. And again, in terms of, you know, the actual value of that thing right it, it is it's a piece of plastic it doesn't it has any sort of you know no real value other than for the person that holds it and and for the sentiments that it has for you so i think it's actually a great one uh, especially to to bring up first my first one too is rooted in sentimentality it's rooted in nostalgia unlike your light bulb credential uh, i could not bring this upstairs to my office because it's too big and it's too heavy. And I don't mean my plate from the boathouse. What I mean is 
something that is it's valuable to me because like you it's not the item itself it's it's what it represents it's it's the memories that it represents and as a disney enthusiast because of where it came from um to be able to say that i have and that i own a a literal piece of Walt Disney World theme park history in and of itself is meaningful to me. It's even more so because of where it came from. And the story about how I got it to um, was one that it was never something that I sought out. It was something that was gifted to me. So that too has value to it. And the item that I'm referring to that's too heavy to bring upstairs is an actual porthole from a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine Nautilus from Fantasyland in Walt Disney World. Um, The 20,000 Leagues attraction ran from 71 to about 94. And I've always been fascinated, Connor, by the idea of, of having something that not just existed in the parks, but that I rode. And when you look at this porthole, you know that Hundreds of thousands, millions of guests potentially looked through this porthole out into this undersea amazing world of Volcania that I loved so very much. Um, the dollar value uh, in terms of what it's quote unquote worth on eBay is meaningless to me because it's not something that I ever see myself parting with. And the way that I got it was uh, when the attraction had closed um, and they took all these subs. I know for a long time, they literally just sort of had them piled up backstage. Like, what do we do with the fleet of submarines? You know, you can't just sort of chop them up. And um, eventually, from what I understand, that they were buried somewhere. One of them went out to Castaway Key and a cast member um, had reached out to me a number of years later on and said, hey, I have a gift for you. Um, I, I like... You know, I had my my trivia book, I had the podcast, and I'd love to give this to you. And it was this huge, it probably weighs 60 pounds. I mean, it's it's a big honking piece of metal with the glass still intact. Um, you know, and again, the, the value for me is not the eBay value. The value is like, is knowing that I may have looked out of this very porthole with my dad because we love 20,000 leagues. I've said this over and over again. I bought into it, man. As a little kid, I bought bought into the fact that this sub went underwater and I loved the story and the music and the the Nemo narration. And when I got it, I had all these plans. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it and I'm going to mount it on the wall. Oh no, I'm going to make a table out of it. No, no, no. I'm going to mount it on the wall. I'm going to put a screen behind it and have like these undersea like scenes of 20... It's still in my garage, wrapped up in towels and sweatshirts uh, to protect it. And one of these days, if I ever get um, time and some sort of craftsmanship uh, under my belts, I, I will I will put it somewhere, um, again, more for me than for anybody else. I think the best place would be the bathroom for that. Or go all in the commode, you know? Give yourself something to look at. Um, I love that. I think about owning a piece of, of Disney theme park, um, um, like a tangible piece, you know, a, a construction piece, a constructed piece rather. Um, 
all the time. And I'm, I'm one to look at eBay, you know, every once in a while and say, Oh, Mr. Toads, uh, <laughs> you know, a sign from Mr. Toads. Interesting. Me, it means absolutely nothing to me, but it could be very, very, very cool. Um, and Lou, I'm sure you're one that, um, those, those, uh, Disneyland auctions that they have had the last couple of years out in, out in Anaheim filled with, with those sorts of, of collectibles and things like that. Yeah. I think about it all the time, but you know, uh, uh, like your conundrum and the 65 pound porthole, it's kind of like, it's kind of like I want it to go to a good home. And right now in my one bedroom apartment, <laughs> I don't know if a lot of those things would be in a good home. Yeah. They would have a loving owner, but they wouldn't have enough, you know, room to run around, you know, all that stuff. Right. All right. So what's next for you? Next for me is another, I think the first couple of things I'm going to talk about are cast member specific. And this gets into the, uh, uh, the memories associated with it. Like my first one, this next one is, is meaningless in, in value, I should say. Um, it's just a little postcard, right? And if I hold up the camera, you can see it's Mickey and Pluto, and it's um, a gravestone. And the gravestone um, says, The Haunted Mansion, Honorary Caretaker, Magic Kingdom. And then on the back, it says sort of the same thing. It says, you know, honorary caretaker, the Honda Mansion, Liberty Square, Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney World. Now, this was given to me when I got the opportunity to go on a backstage tour of the Haunted Mansion as a cast member. Wow. A lot of um, locations, um, if, you, if you get in a good location when you work at Walt Disney World, um, they organize, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, these tours and stuff. I did one of Fantasmic. I did one with Space Mountain with the lights on. This one was by far the coolest. We got there super, super early, and we had two ghost hosts um, um, or two cast members take us through the entire attraction. So this was before the Doom buggies were running, all that stuff. We walked the length of the track. From you know start to finish, we um, every crow that 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 is around there, you touch each one of them for good luck. Um, we petted the dog next to like like in the scene where Mickey is is pretending to be the grave digger. Basically, we petted that dog right um, next to it, and it was incredible. Just because I had been on that ride hundreds of times before, but. I could only reach so far. I can't, you know, you got to please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times, right? And then at the very, very end, the two cast members who were leading the tour said, you know what, guys, you were incredible. You were one of the best groups we've ever had. And I don't know, they could tell this to, to every group that I take this on. But, but we have a special surprise for you. And we went backstage further we went outside, we went into a door, and then we were led through another door. And the next thing I know, Lou, I'm standing in the ballroom scene. <laughs> and I am next to the table, and they're explaining all of the, the um, tchotchkes on the table. 
And there's a lot of hidden shots too that that fans have sent in uh, uh, throughout the years that go through a vetting process to to be added to the table and and things like that. But to be on the track side, right, and and see all that, and then all of a sudden we step into the ballroom scene, a scene that you've never seen a human being in before. You've only ever seen ghosts in before, right? It was fantastic, and it's every Disney fan's dream, I think, to do that. That's the story I always tell when people say, what's the greatest you know, memory of Disney that you have? That's the story I always tell to you know, rub it in other people's faces that I did it. But again, this, this piece of, of paper, this like postcard-looking thing, has no monetary value but the memory it has and especially because it's the haunted mansion probably the most popular attraction out there the one with the most lore the one with the most backstory created by imagineers and cast members and fans that to me is so meaningful and and that's something where it sits on my bookshelf and when i look at it i just always remember of stepping foot into the ballroom scene and how how awesome it really really was uh, one quick correction. Everything has value. Their chances are if you put that up on eBay right now and tell that story behind it, there's going to be a Haunted Mansion fan who's like, oh, I need that in yeah. my collection. Many of us have said that before. We see something go, I need this in my collection because that's something that nobody else could go to a store and buy. It does have significant value. Yeah, they're they're buying my memory. Much like, you know, Jay Peterman bought... Cosmo Kramer's life and put it in his book. <laughs> They're buying my memory. So I, 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 I'm going to use, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off this because I too have a piece of Disney ephemera that I love and, and has significance and meaning. And for me, I my first trip to Walt Disney World was in November of 71 just a few weeks after the park opened and I have vivid memories of going with my parents and going to the ticket window and eventually ticket kiosks like in Fantasyland and elsewhere and buying the A through E ticket books and before we leave, asking to get one more ticket or one more ride or riding if, if you had wings 75 times, not just because we love the attraction, but it was also free. It didn't count as a ticket. Uh, and for me, Connor, I have framed on my wall uh, a single e-ticket from 1971. So again, very quick. I'm sure you all know this already. Before we had, you know, park passes and things like that, you bought a ticket book that had A through E tickets and the A coupon were for some of the simpler attractions. It would be like the omnibus and, you know, things on the horse-drawn carriages, the the golden carousel was that, but it would work its way up to be an E ticket attraction. And the E ticket were things like the haunted mansion, which were some of the more popular rides. And it's interesting because the, Attractions that were classified as e-ticket actually changed over the year. Uh, I have tickets. So the ticket I have on my wall has It's a Small World was an e-ticket attraction, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, obviously, Mickey Mouse Review, The Jungle Cruise, The Tropical Serenade, 
the Enchanted Tiki Room to you and me, and of course the aforementioned Haunted Mansion. Later tickets, you go a couple of years later, Pirates of the Caribbean gets added, uh, Country Bear, Jamboree again. Um, the Hall of Presidents was an e-ticket attraction. That is crazy. And then event, I get it, it got bumped down to uh, a D-ticket at, at some point. But again, it's not the ticket itself. It's the memories. It's the stories that it brings up. I, I literally remember being in Fantasyland with my dad saying, like, come on, just one more ride and going and I'm going to get choked up. Buying one more e-ticket so we could hit 20,000 leagues one last time before we hopped in the family truckster and drove back to New Jersey. Um, I, I have multiple books and, and individual tickets that I've saved over the years. but And I think subconsciously, the placement of this in my office, um, it's in my line of sight. It's, it's you know across from where my desk sits. So when I look up, I sort of see it every day. And I think it does subconsciously act as a reminder to me of why I do what I do, why I got started with all this and the the personal significance that this all has to me. But even aside from that, Lou, that's something that so many people want in their collection. I want that in my collection. And, um, you know, I didn't get to go in 1970, 1971. I went a, I went a couple years later, my first time, um, which would have been, uh, I won't say, <laughs> never mind. But so I'm saying I've never used the ticket books, but I know how important they are. And I know that even if I never use the ticket books, my they're in my vernacular. I still refer to attractions as e-ticket attractions. So to have that big of an impact on how I talk about Walt Disney World. That's why I think I've always wanted one for my collection. I've never, I've never purchased one before, whether it's, you know, a single e-ticket, a book, what have you. But I know down the line that I would love to, to acquire one of those, um, mainly just for its history, but you have it for the sentimental value as well, which is, which is really awesome. So that's great. Nice. Um, another sentimental thing. Um, we'll go way back with this one to to start as long as i can remember i wanted to work at walt disney world um my mom did the college program uh back in the day she worked on the uh, people mover um the astro orbiter um star jets i believe we referred to it back then and um when i found out that she worked there i was like well i have to do this i i absolutely have to do this uh, and I was lucky to, you know, right after college, I was able to, to go into the college program to work at Walt Disney World, like I was saying. So this, for me, is incredibly sentimental because it's framed and it is my name tag from when I worked there. Oh, I love it. You know, and the frame is just so cool. And you, you actually bought this frame at Cast Connect, or not Cast Connections, um, Company D was the name of the store, which is in like Disney University. They have a couple other locations, but that's where you can buy uh, discounted products and and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know. I just look at this and I just think of how, how much fun it was to work there, how big of an accomplishment it was. Um, but then, you know, Lou, I also... My plan was I was going to work in the parks and then I was going to get a job in corporate and I was going to work for the Disney company for the rest of my life. And I got a job in the parks and that was about it. 
you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to pan out. So when I framed this, um, name tag, when I first did it, it was like, an uh, uh, the final chapter, it was an end note, you know, it was that part of my life is over, right? The working for Walt Disney world is over. Um, so it was kind of a sad memory in a, in, in a lot of ways as well. But then as I've, you know, gone on and I've met people in the Disney creator space and I've met other Disney cast members through WDW Opinion and, and all this other fun, I don't see this framed name tag as an endpoint anymore. I see it as a middle point. You know, there was my life before I worked at Walt Disney World. There was my life when I worked at Walt Disney World. And now there's my life still as a Disney fan, as a former cast member, as someone who loves to share Disney World with other people. So when I look at my frame name tag like that, I, I see that this is part of my history now. It's not an end point of anything. It's just part of the story. And and that's why I love it, of course. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, it's one of those items that is is priceless, right? To you, it's priceless. Like, I, I don't imagine you selling that for any price because of just what that means to you and and everything else that you're doing sort of really sort of falls under the umbrella of of that item right all these other things wouldn't have happened to you had it not been for you being a cast member during that time absolutely and it's it's something that i i funnel everything through that's something you can't take away from me i i will have always been a cast member i will always have that knowledge and those memories of working in the park so that's why it's it's super super important to me so the next one I go to, look, if you've ever heard of the show before, if you've ever watched anything that I do, I am a kid at heart. I am a seven-year-old kid trapped in a <clears throat> slightly older body. And I, I do, I love I, I love the toys. I love the, the fun things too. And I, I love things that are fun as well as being unique. And when I look at my collection in terms of things that are unique, things that you can't find anymore, which adds, it adds value to me because I understand the rarity of it. Uh, But more importantly, items that connect to maybe just attractions that are my favorites, right? You mentioned the Haunted Mansion, which is why I sort of bumped this up on my list. And plus two, because of how unique this item is. And um, it's called a Haunted Mansion secret panel chest box. And it's a small, it's about six inches by four inches by three inches or so rectangle. And these were originally released um, in Disneyland in probably about 1969. Uh, there's a Disneyland version. There's a Haunted Mansion version. And the box itself, the physical item is actually rare. I have seen very, very few of these, very few of these in really good condition. And I'm fortunate that that mine is, is you know, in, in near mint condition. And the idea is this small wooden box um, has no lock and key system. It has no visible way of opening it. But if you know how to, it requires about 20 different steps to slide different pieces up and down and it reveals um, 
sort of different mechanisms to open it. And inside of it, there is a secret compartment and there's a secret drawer too. Um, there's a there's a colored decal on the top that says the Haunted Mansion in Walt Disney World's secret panel chest. And it has this beautiful hand-drawn image of the mansion with lightning behind it. Obviously, there's a, there's a Disneyland New Orleans-style mansion for theirs as well. Um, and it also has this wonderful it's called an ichimatsu design in terms of the um the 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 checked pattern on the side of the box um there is actually an item inside my uh this is where lou hides his juicy fruit so his kids (laughs) don't get it you say juicy fruits or juicy fruits because they're two things that i still loved as a kid jujubes no, well, there's juicy fruit gum, which we yeah. chewed it twice and it lost all its flavors. Yeah. And then there's juicy fruit, the oh so hard and chewy candy. And uh-huh. well, now there's also juju. All of them are in there. Maybe by the end, I will uh, I will open this and show you if I remember how to open up this box. So it is. Say, yeah. Do you have uh, it like the instructions in a word doc or something. No, or? you got to just you got to know how to do it and you got to figure out it. it. I don't even know if it came with instructions. So that's what I was going to ask. Was it like when you bought it, was it almost like a puzzle when you bought it? It is. It's a, it's a puzzle box. And I honestly don't have, I've never seen instructions for it anywhere. Um, again, I, the, the number of times I've actually seen the box, especially in good condition, um, has been few, very, very few over the years. Uh, I don't remember ever getting instructions with it. So, because uh, these were also, these were not available for a very long period of time. I would say maybe a year or so. So there's not a ton of them that were actually ever made. Probably because nobody knew how to open them. So they didn't sell very well. But um, yeah, maybe um, I think I remember what's in here. I think I remember what I put in here. But uh, I'll let you. I will continue to play around with my secret panel chest box and let you move on to your next. But this is one too that unless times get really tough, uh, I can't imagine myself ever selling. I hear if you take a Disney dollar and you hold it up to the light, you can see the instructions a la National (laughs) Treasure. I have Disney dollars too, by the way. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) Disney is now cashless. They're completely meaningless. Um, All right. Moving on to an eBay purchase. And, you know, I I mentioned it a little bit about how I love buying – uh, sort of utilitarian things, things that I can use. You know, right now I'm drinking from a Hollywood Studios 30th anniversary cup. That is not what I'm talking about here today. But I love things that had a purpose. Lou, I think you've actually talked about this before, but it is a, they say it's a commemorative edition, but it's a, a thin book. It's quite big. It's probably like 11 inches by 10 inches it's almost a perfect square but the corners are rounded so it looks like a d i know exactly where you're going the story of walt disney world so this is something that says commemorative edition a behind the scenes visit to the vacation kingdom and lou correct me if i'm wrong but this was something that was placed in a lot of hotel rooms in like the early days right or or maybe you could just buy it i guess in the parks or, or or something like that I don't know if it was a giveaway. I, I don't know how I got it, but I have three copies of okay. the exact same one. Um, yeah. That is the book, and it it was on my list. It is the book 
that really began all of this for me. And that's not um, that's not hyperbole. Like that really is a thing that started me because driving back and forth from New Jersey to Walt Disney, like that's the book I would read over and over and over again because I loved the the photos and even some of the behind the scene pictures that are in there too. And I just flipped through, you know, this was a 1970s production, you know, the first years of Walt Disney World. This is what this this book is is talking about. It's talking about the building of it. It it shows um, other things like uh, 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 other attractions that are, are about to be built. Lou, one of my favorite things is the map that they have, the vacation kingdom of the world. And, uh, you know, they they list Magic Kingdom theme park, Contemporary, Bay Lake. But then, of course, they also have Future Asian Resort Hotel, Future Venetian Resort Hotel, Future Persian Resort Hotel. None of those were made, of course, but it is always cool to to look back at them uh, and things like that. As a kid, I loved, I would take everything that was in the room on our, our, our vacation. I don't mean like I would steal pillows and stuff, all right? I'm not a kleptomaniac, but any piece of marketing material that, that they would have, any, you know, magazine to help you plan your trip, I would take it just so that in my room alone, like the sad individual I was, I could pour over it when I wasn't in Walt Disney World because that's where I was happiest. Um, so this, for me, I think is a, is a lot like that. I think people who went to the park in the 70s would would buy this book, would get this book, and it was something where when you didn't have the internet, when you didn't really even have a whole lot of photos you could flip back through, this was something you could look back and see, wow, look at how that place was built. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember the the Mickey Mouse review and, and Country Bear Jamboree and all sorts of stuff like that. But when I bought this, Lou, there was actually two other things in it, which it was not listed as such. But the two things that were in it were, this is like a little a little postcard and it's got perforated edges and it says Walt Disney World Central Reservations, P.O. Box 78R, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. So it's a postcard. And on the back, it says Fort Wilderness Campground Resort Reservations. And it's got Mickey and his little, you know, Davy Crockett get up like the logo you see today. And what this was, Lou, was you would tear it out of of wherever and you'd fill it out. You'd put your name, your address, all that stuff. And you'd say, please reserve blank campsites for blank nights for a party of blank arriving on your expected days and, and stuff like that. And it's so funny because there's not even a place for your phone number on there. <laughs> so you would just send this off in the mail and I guess they'd send you something back in the mail and they'd say, you're booked. And of course, that's cool to me. It's cool that it says Walt Disney Productions before it switched to the Walt Disney Company uh, even. But the crazy part, of course, is campsite rate, $12 per night. $12. That's like oh, the OG My Disney Experience app was a postcard. Yeah. yeah. It takes, instead of, you know, seven seconds you're booking it, it takes you seven weeks to book something. <laughs> in the mail. Great. So that was really cool. And then the other thing that was in it was this week at Fort Wilderness Campground, um, and this says through April 20th, 1973. So it's like you get these same things today. Um, it tells you, you know, there's bicycling, there's campfires, uh, where to go for transportation and, and things like that. And then on the back, 
it lists a whole bunch of other stuff. So these people were going there during Easter. So it says Easter holiday fun. What do you do? Um, one thing I saw, there were world cruises, but then, Lou, this was something I had never heard of, showboat cruises. Mm-hmm. So this said the late evening hours are a wonderful time at Walt Disney World when you enjoy them on a sparkling showboat cruise. So it looks like it takes off from the contemporary and the Polynesian and even Fort Wilderness, and it just goes around like the the Bay Lake, Seven Seas Lagoon sort of area like that. Yeah, it was almost sort of a uh, like a Louisiana, like Mississippi side wheel paddle steamer boat that would take you out on these sunset and nighttime dinner cruises. Because remember, when Walt Disney World first opened, no Epcot, no other parks, but it was still being billed as the the, the tagline was the vacation kingdom of the world. So the idea was you went to the park singular during the day you got to do and see everything you'd come back you would spend a lot of time at your resort and so the resorts had a lot of these extra activities that you could do there for both adults and and couples like things like this the top of the world supper club that were adults only as well as things for families to do together as well yeah and you know they list other things like the water ski show top of the world uh, at the Contemporary, um, Mimi Hines was performing. Song stylist Mimi Hines. Um, that show boat cruise was going to run you $3, by the way. $3. <laughs> so I love that because it's something that, if I was alive back then, this is a book I would pour over when I wasn't in Walt Disney World. I, I could totally see myself doing that. I could see myself doing that to plan the next vacation. But then I love those other two items because they were things that had actual purpose you'd actually look at the times guides you know and 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 see oh let's do a showboat cruise when we go down there you'd actually send in that postcard to book your campsite for the next time you went so that's why i really love it because it had a purpose in planning people's vacations back in the day and for me being on my list uh, again not to sort of overstate it but i wrote that it's the most important book in my collection because it is. It it literally, I would not be here had it not been for that book because of how many times I remember seeing it and reading it. I'm, I'm sure without even looking, I could talk to you about, there's the photo of the large sea serpent topiary and Pirates of the Caribbean. Like I can still see the images vividly in my mind and every other book in my collection would not be here if it not for that one. Yeah, yeah. It is very, very, very cool. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to jump into a slightly different direction. I'm going to get off my nostalgia train um, just for a little bit. And it's interesting because when looking at the things that I put on my list, there's not a lot that are current or modern because I think now as as a Disney enthusiast, it it. You know, I go to the park so often because I live here that there's no real merchandise. And I'm like, oh, I need this. I have to have it. Um, one of the things I think that we love about being Disney fans is, to your point before, about when, when things close, it's sad. But new things affords us the opportunity for discovery, a, a new attraction, a new technology, a new song, a new character, whatever it might be. And... Sometimes those those opportunities 
there's there's a long break in between when you have them. I have been fortunate as a as a result of this show and and what I get to do that I have been able to visit the overseas Disney parks, which has been a remarkable eye-opening experience. And there have been multiple wow moments for me where I am blown away by what I see and hear, yes, taste and experience. And when I went to Asia for the first time and um, and got to see some of these attractions, not only was I blown away by the attraction itself, but there was an item that I saw on a shelf that for the first time in in long history, I said, I have to have that. Like I need to bring this thing home. I need to bring this tangible thing home from this attraction and keep it on my shelf. Not just as a reminder for any sort of sentimentality, but because I love the attraction, the characters, the story so, so very much. And yes, it's a reminder of the trip. And before I tell you what it is, I want you to hear what it is. Connor, you're going to cheat because you get to see it. But Okay. So it is a music box from Mystic Manor in Hong Kong. And I was and remain to this day blown away by that attraction um, and this little Balinese music box that plays the music box version of the haunting and enchanting and memorable theme song uh, by Danny Elfman uh, is significant too to the story of look we, we've continued to talk about the mansion over and over again right and, and mansion uh, memorabilia so obviously the mansion here in the States has significance to us. This one is different. And this was the first time I experienced a mansion overseas because Disney ran into an issue in terms of how to culturally translate the haunted mansion to Hong Kong. And the music box was actually the solution because in, in Chinese culture, um, ghosts are, are perceived and, really sort of revered culturally very different than they are in the States. So instead of of having this 999 happy haunts, they decided to go with this idea of um, enchanted artifacts. And this music box is at the core of the story. It was acquired by Lord Henry Mystic in the early 1900s on his travels to Bali. And according to story, has the ability to bring inanimate objects to life through the powers of the Danny Elfman music and releases this magical green dust. And obviously that leads to the uh, adventure that you and little Albert go through in the attraction, which still remains probably among my top five, maybe my top three Disney, maybe my top two attractions. Yeah, it's way up there. Um, so I, I I loved it. It I think it it cost about I think it was maybe fifty dollars US um, when it was there. It was the best 
money I ever in- invested in a uh, a souvenir. I brought a ton of stuff back for other people. This was the one thing that I brought back for myself. I am a big, you know, proponent of I don't want everything in every park. You know, I, I want to have things where you got to go to Hong Kong to see it. You got to go to L.A. to see it. Um, that's one thing where I would be all right if somehow I don't know where it would fit. But if you could bring that to the States, that would be very, very, very cool. But I also love the fact that you can take home a piece of the attraction with you. I think I would love to see more of that throughout Walt Disney World, throughout Disneyland, taking souvenirs from, uh, you know, replica of, of, of uh, something in an attraction that you can take back. Um, are you familiar with Chuby from C-H-U-U-B-Y? Of course I am. He's the little bird we all know from oh, oh, Mickey yeah. and Minnie's Runaway Railway. <laughs> this is, Lou, I think this is something Disney needs to start pushing more and more and more because they got Chuby merch, but they don't do a good job explaining who it is. So I would love to see more things like that in future projects. Um, I don't know what they could be, but I would I would love um, souvenirs that are based on scene sequences artifacts within the attractions and that music box is is a really really cool example of that yeah it's it's my favorite of my quote-unquote modern collectible and it's like it's it's small like i said it's maybe you know five six inches wide but it it's heavy like it has weight it came in this beautiful i remember it came in this beautiful purple box um and it's like literally the moment i walked off the attraction for the first time i said i need to I, I wanted to bring something home, and when I saw this, I instantly fell in love with it. And I remember yeah, the, I, I the remember music. You, yeah, yeah, the uh, the Danny Elfman music is just—it's beautiful. Yeah, awesome, 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 awesome. And I, un, unlike the other, unlike my secret panel chess box, I know how to open this one. I was about to say, <laughs> seems pretty pretty easy to open that one. No juicy fruit gum hidden away in there. All right. This next one, um, I think it's the most recent. No, there's one more that's more recent that has come into my collection more recently. This is something that I was actually able to purchase from a Disney legend. Um, He sells these on his website, and you might know who it is, but there are all these, um, you know, I don't know, they got to be like 24. Uh, maybe 16 by 10, something like that. But they're just on really nice stock paper, like hard stock paper. Uh, You got one that says amusement car ride and it says patent September 23rd, 1969, number 215313, whatever. And there's a bunch of figures and it's clearly the, the, the cars from Autopia. You have flying saucer ride, another patent with all these figures. Uh, You got one from, it says, Bobsled amusement ride, December 17th, 1963. And the figure looks very much like a, a Matterhorn of sorts with an attraction uh, roller coaster running through. You have one that's just called People Mover from 1969. And it says inventors on this one, Roger Brogy, Robert Gurr, um, and a couple other people. But that's, you know, the Disneyland People Mover stuff. So these are, are, are really cool um, patent 
uh, uh, prints, I guess you could call them, of some of the most iconic attractions um, that that have ever been in Disney parks. I think I have the dune buggies in here. I have the the submarine voyage in here as well. But one in particular, um, I actually purchased signed, and it was signed by the man responsible for all of these designs. This one that I got signed was patented July 26, 1960. It says monorail amusement ride and right smack in the middle. You can see that Bob Gurr, Disney legend signed this as well. So this, this is for the, the monorail out in Disneyland, those versions. Um, you know, when I, when I purchase this, I think that eventually I'm going to get them all framed. I think it'd be really cool to just have like a patent wall, um, which is, which is awesome. But um, I got him to sign the monorail one because I love that story about how on opening day of, of the monorail um, in Disneyland, uh, uh, then vice president Richard Nixon was there and, and Robert Bob Gurr was piloting the monorail and they only got it to work once the night before. That was the first time they got it to work. He was piloting the monorail. Uh, Vice President Nixon, uh, Walt Disney got uh, got on board. Vice President Nixon's family got on board. And they took off. They did a full loop. And as Bob Gurr is pulling back into the station, he realizes, oh, my God, I've kidnapped the vice president. <laughs> I took off before any Secret Service members got on. And as soon as that monorail stopped, Secret Service like flooded um, the vehicle and things like that. So I love that story. I think, you know, as Disney fans, we owe a lot to Bob Gurr, not just in the attractions that he's helped develop, but how hospitable he's been, how open he's been to sharing the history of of his time working with the company of, of sharing his time just in general with individuals. Um, I think it's really, really, really awesome. He's fantastic in the Imagineering story, uh, which I'm sure plenty of people have watched as well. But I look at these, Lou, and I, I think it's really cool because it's easy for us to think, oh, these things just exist in our favorite theme parks around the world, um, which they do. But when you have something that's a patent, you realize, wow, the things being created in the theme parks have important significance outside of the theme parks. They have important significance to the world of technology, to the world of, you know, in this case, infrastructure with with methods of transportation uh, and things like that. So that puts a lot of things in perspective for me. So I love that it's signed by Bob Gurr. I love that he was able to create these things, but I also love that it's now, because they're patents, they're pieces of American history. So I, I love, first of all, I love those designs. I love the simplicity and the 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 history and sort of the, the genesis of going from those designs to the attractions that we now get to enjoy today. Um, you know, there was something that you said that, made me think um, in terms of where I wanted to go next with my list. And something that you said made me think about, you know, other people. And look, I I acknowledge every day, um, both internally and and as, you know, outwardly as I possibly can, that I would not be here without you. And you, I mean, you and you, the listener, and, and everybody who's been able to make this incredible adventure 
for me possible and everything that has come from it. And the generosity of your attention and time and, and friendship, you know, I, I, I cannot put into words. And over the years, I have also been the the fortunate recipient of some amazing gifts from people, um, incredibly thoughtful, many, many delicious ones as well. Um, and again, I almost don't want to single any out because they all have meaning to me. Trust me, I have closets and boxes and shelves full of things that are a gift because I save everything that people give because it means something to me. But there's one when I was coming up with this list, I almost felt like I couldn't leave off, right? Because it it means to me a lot of things. If you've ever watched a Wednesday night show, and Connor, you can see, you may or may not realize that I'm a bit of a Spider-Man fan. I've been a Spidey fan since I was a little kid. I will not, um, speaking of therapy, I will not talk about the many lonely days as a kid by myself pretending that I was Spider-Man. But I have items on, and by kid, I mean like three weeks ago. Yeah, um, day, yesterday. I have items on my shelf that I will not take off that are, are sort of hidden in the back that were mine from when I, I was a little kid that thankfully my mom did keep because they were things that I used and, you know, um, I didn't necessarily need the toy. I would make something up to, to pretend. And my love of Spidey has um, continued over the years and this this gift is sort of a, a two-parter and very very quick long story um years ago i received an email from somebody who sent me a um a, what looked like it to be a, a scan of a panel from a comic book and it was a spider-man comic book and in that comic book there was a panel that had somebody with the microphone going to interview J. Jonah Jameson. And it said, hi, I'm Lou Mangello from WW Radio. Can I have a statement? Whatever, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Somebody did that. And then I got like another one and another one and another one. I'm like, this is really odd. Like, what is this? And somebody's like, do you not know like what this is? And I said, no, long story longer. What I found out was that, um, a listener who had become a friend of mine um, was a a letterer for Marvel Comics. And I'm definitely going to cry when I tell the story because it's still... And as thanks or a gift or a, a gesture of friendship, asked and was able to put my name in Spider-Man 700. Flames from the side of my face, like still to this day, speechless. Um, I remember I was at Fort Wilderness when when I was able to get him on the phone and I just broke down into tears because all of a sudden I was some I was an infinitesimally small part of something that meant and means so much to me since I was a little kid. Like I could show my mom and I could show like my dad and I could show my brother and you know, it's something that I instantly ran to the comic book store and I bought as many copies as I could and I framed it and I put it up on my wall and I'm like, this is, you know, it's meaningful to me, to nobody else in the world, but to me, it just means a lot because of Spider-Man. Um, and then, you know, but wait, there's more. Um, so there's, 
again, friendships and relationships that I've made through the show have have uh, overwhelmed me, you know, especially as somebody who grew up with not a lot of friends. And I will never forget meeting uh, my friend Paul uh, and, and his kids at La Cellier for dinner one night in the Canada Pavilion. I've known Paul for years. Paul is from Canada. Um, I wouldn't know if he wants me to give his last name, so we'll just call him Paul. And we go to dinner at La Cellier, which is a gift in and of itself, as we know. Um, and Paul says, I have something for you. And he hands me this little um, package. And inside is another copy of Spider-Man 700 with what's called a variant cover. Um, they do a limited run of slightly different covers. And it's got Dr. Octopus on the cover, who I love. And... Also on the cover is Stan Lee's signature. And I'm not a normally like a signature kind of guy, but it's Stan Lee. And Paul told me the story about how he heard me talk about the Spider-Man issue and what it meant to be. Well, Paul found out that Stan Lee was going to be at a comic book convention in Canada which is a bitty, pretty big place. And my Paul drove, Paul went out, got a copy of the comic book, drove however many hours to Saskatoon or wherever it was and stood online for like three hours to get one autograph for, by Stan Lee, not for himself, not for his kids, but for me and brought it back from Canada the signature itself is not what's most meaningful. It's the gesture. It's the action. It does that make any sense to you? Like the 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 quote unquote value on the the street value of the Stanley signature on Spider Man Seven Hundred does not exist to me. Right? It's something I would never sell. But that sort of representative gesture, which to me represents the gesture of anybody that takes the time to send me a message, a gift, uh, you know, a bag of Doritos, whatever it is. Um, and so, like, it has a prominent place on, on my wall. And although it's not something that I went out and inquired on my own, acquired on my own, it's one of the things that has the most significance and meaning because of the multiple layers of, of story. So that's great that you're in a comic book and you got Stanley's signature and all, but have you ever stepped foot inside <laughs> the ballroom scene at the haunted mansion? You know, you might have a signature of Bob Gurr on your, yeah. uh, your people mover and monorail um, blueprint, but have you ever sat down with Bob Gurr and shared his very first Dole Whip ever with him? Okay, so that's, <laughs> that's a great memory. Do you have the cup? Did you save the cup? Because if you didn't, it's just a mess. <laughs> but Lou, let me just say, I, I, so I've heard the story of, of and I've seen the, the, the panel that you're talking about as well. I never knew it was Spider-Man 700. And, and for a lot of people, you know, who, who don't follow comics that well, obviously big numbers, you know, even numbers rounding up to a, to another 100 or whatever. 700 is a big deal. It's a huge deal. So to be able to be in that comic book is incredible. To have that um, relationship um, with all those people is really awesome. 
But I think, you know, Lou, you look at those things like, wow, someone went out of their way to do this for me. That's, that's awesome. And that's incredible. But I also see it the other way around. I see it that your stuff, you being who you are, you had a huge impact on these people. And that's why they wanted to include you in the comic. That's why they wanted to drive all the way to Fort Erie or Saskatchewan or wherever to get that comic book signed. So, you know, it's great that these people do meaningful things for you, but you also know that, you know, what you've done has, has impacted a lot of people. So I love it because those things are just huge full circle items, which is great. You're just trying to make me cry again, man. Yeah, absolutely. Quickly change the subject before I burst into. Did he like adult, the Dole Whip? He did. And I could not believe that that was the, the very first one he ever had. Well, that's because he doesn't have a patent on it. <laughs> Why bother? You know? All right. Great for you and all your accomplishments in life. This one, my next thing, is something that there's not a whole lot of backstory other than my best friend um, that I went to college with just so happens to live in Orlando. Uh, he's lived in Orlando his entire life. Um, his dad um, is a architect, an, an architect, an engineer. Um, and over the years, he's, he's worked on a lot of projects with Disney. Um, I don't think he's ever been employed with Disney, so I won't say names because the item about the show, I don't know how he acquired it. It might be under false pretenses, but he gave it to me as a gift. I'm going to put it on now. I don't think it's going to come over my headphones, but it is a construction hard hat. I'll knock into the microphone just in case if you can hear it, but right on the center, Walt Disney Imagineering Sorcerer Mickey logo on this hard hat. Um, I, I, I would assume you can find this in, in, in other places, but for me, this is, this is really cool because, um, because it's like what you were just talking about, Lou, about, you know, someone going out of their way to, to do something for you. My dad's or my friend's dad had this for, for years. I think this was when he was helping out on the animal kingdom project. He was doing like a lot of infrastructure for it building bridges there and, and laying um, um, like utility cables and stuff. He's told me all these awesome stories about um, how Joe Rody like just started camping in the middle of the project. Like he lived in a tent for months on end and he told me all these in- incredible stories, but he just had this, you know, in a closet for, for years, not, not really knowing what to do with. But when I became friends with, with his son and, and he found out that, you know, I have this love of Disney and stuff. He thought, I know I have the perfect thing for you. I want you to have it. It's going to mean more to you um, uh, uh, than it will to me. So, you know, it's not a a particular moment in time. I can't tell you, you know, where this hard hat has been. I can't tell you, you know, uh, uh, I've been wanting to get one for so long. I can just tell you that it was a really, really cool gift from people who know how important Disney is to me. Um, and I think a lot of people would also think, wow, wow, that's a really, really, really cool item to have. So I love it. I love both sides of that story, man. The, the, yeah. the significance to you personally and just how cool that item is, because like you said, 
you can't go into a store and buy it. You know, there's no, there's no, you can't go to eBay and buy it. You shouldn't be able to anyway. Yeah. So how it gets to you and, and why it gets to you is as important as the item itself. And we know, you know, the, the Walt Disney Imagineering logo with Sorcerer Mickey and stuff. I mean, at all the D23 events, you know, they, they open up the Mickeys of Glendale, which is like the Imagineering only store. And, and they do these pop-up shops and, and people just clamor to, to, to get that, all that Imagineering um, merchandise and stuff like that. And that's great. And I'd love to go to one of those at some point, but I know no matter how many pop-ups there are, they'll never have hard hats like this around. So that's, it's, it's very, very cool to me. I love it. Uh, again, it, the story is as important as the item itself. Yes, sir. Um, which might be, and and I think pretty much everything else on my list, I mean, they all have stories to it, but I think for this one, same thing, the story of when and, and what this is, is means more than, than the physical item itself. And it definitely qualifies as part of this conversation because it, it is now um, very much part of the Disney family and the Disney umbrella. And I, to this day, Connor, can remember the day in spring of 1977 when I went with my dad to Middlesex Mall and walked into the theater in the center section all the way on the left-hand side, the only seats that were available were like three or four rows back from the front all the way on the left. We sat down, the lights dimmed, and there was this interesting introduction to the film. And I remember looking up to the, I can see it like it was yesterday, looking up to the right into my dad's eyes with this wide-eyed, mouth-agape look as the Star Destroyer came across and filled that screen for the very first time. And we looked at each other and like, what are we watching? And that instant, that moment was clearly significant to me watching Star Wars for the first time of what would be hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of times. I'm not going to tell the story about how my dad went to Crazy Eddie's on Route 22 with me one day to buy something, and the guy behind the counter is like, uh, hey, buddy, uh, your kid likes Star Wars? And my dad's like, yeah, of course, we like Star Wars. He's like, come with me. They All I know is my dad walked into a back room. He walked out of the back room. He said, come on, we're leaving. We're getting the car. I'm like, dad, we didn't even come to get with the thing. And it was like <laughs> it was like he opened up his trench coat and pulls out this brown paper bag, and inside were two VHS cassettes of Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. And it now, was, this is in what? 1980. This is in 1980. Oh, I don't know what either of those words mean. Right. So you were actually used to be able to take these physical things, put them into a machine, and watch movies at home. I sat with my brother and my two friends in my dad's den in Plainfield, New Jersey. And like, I didn't have a lot of friends, but boy, you get Star Wars at your house and you all of a sudden you get friends. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you telling me your dad bought bootlegs? Listen, 
the statute of limitations has run and he's dead anyway, so there's nothing that oh, we can wow. do about it. Um, that's but that's not it, right? It wasn't the VHS thing. It was Star Wars was such a significant part of my and so many kids' upbringings. Um, and I was very fortunate. I was very blessed. My dad and, and mom were till the day they both passed, um, incredibly generous to me and my brother. And in the closet that I am pointing to that you can't see across from me, I still have my original 12 Star Wars action figures on their card and the Sears, the mail-away stand, because when the movie came out, the figures weren't ready. So you could basically go to Sears and buy a box that had a stand. So when the figures did come out, you had somewhere to put them. Um, but I also had a lot of toys. You know, we loved to pretend that we were in Star Wars and we used flashlights and wrapping paper tubes as lightsabers, but I still have my 1977 Han Solo little electric um, gun that is in per- it is, it's in the same condition now as it was all those years later, like... The door still opens. The stickers are still on. Um, If I put batteries in it, it would probably make noise. And it's meaningful to me, again, because of the stories, because I remember playing with my brother um, in my basement and that I was able to keep it in this condition for such a long period of time. And now as a father introducing, you know, my son and daughter into Star Wars and the Mandalorian the same way that my dad was able to do it for me so it represents more than just the plastic pistol um again like everything that we're talking about it represents the story of me and my dad and and me and my brother and then even now sort of being able to pass that on to my kids too that blaster is like it looks like it was in the box yesterday yeah it it, like it could be produced today for sure like and all the little buttons and you know Everything works. Per- I'm tempted to put batteries in it. I'm really tempted to put batteries in it. Do it. Do it, dude. Fire it off. See what the sound is like. It'll be awesome. You know, I have, I wasn't going to bring this one up, but it just triggered something for me. Toy Story is a lot like that for me. And and I, I talked about it on the last time I was on, on the show, our, our, you know, Disney Plus picks that we were talking about. Um, Toy Story is very significant for me because I feel like I'm I'm Andy. You know, it's it's the first movie I saw in the movie theater um, when Andy was going to college. I was going to college in Toy Story three. So, um, you know, I had a, a a Buzz action figure, I had a Woody action figure. I dressed up as Woody for Halloween. I dressed up as Buzz for Halloween. All this stuff, and I remember when uh, Toy Story Land opened um, a couple years back. In 2018, the f- first thing I bought, and, and you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not a big buyer of souvenirs. I, I bought, and it's right behind me. You might be able to see it. Oh, where'd it go? Oh, it's over there. It's a small little ball, like the Pixar ball. You know, the yellow and the blue with the red star. And it was the first time they they really sold it like that. And I went up to the cashier in Hollywood studios and I bought it and I said, I've been waiting 20 years to buy one of these because I just thought it was always a cool looking ball. You know, I had a, a, a Woody, I had a plenty of Buzz Lightyear's. I, I had a, sl- a slinky dog. I had a Woody action figure. I had a Buzz Lightyear action figures. I had 
plenty of 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 toys from Toy Story, uh, but that ball was always something that I thought. I mean, it's just a normal bouncy ball, you know. But but it was in movies that that I've I've come to love, and it's a big Pixar Easter egg that's in a lot of other Pixar movies and stuff. So I wasn't going to say that for this, but I guess that. You know, you talking about that Han Solo blaster um, kind of triggered that for me as well. Yeah, and again, you know, it's it's those simple little things, right? It's not yeah. um, it's not that little, you know, twenty five cent plastic ball, whatever it costs them to make it. It it's what it represents for you. I mean, look to that to that same point, and again, I, I'm forgive me for being a a. Uh, a, a sappy, weepy, sentimental when it comes to this stuff. Um, one of the things on my list is is like your Pixar ball, right? It's small, it's cheap, it's something that you couldn't. The thing that that I have in my hand, I know you could get other places other than Walt Disney World, and it's this little King Tut magic mummy. And it's this little magic trick. It's a small little box. I mean, you know, maybe the size of a, of a matchbox. And inside, there's this little plastic Egyptian mummy. And he sits inside, you know, this, this little sarcophagus. And if you know how to do the trick, you're able to actually make the mummy levitate out of the, the sarcophagus. What does that have to do with Disney? Nothing at all. What does that have to do with Disney? everything because this for me represents the story of taking trips with my family every year sometimes more than once to Walt Disney World and on the way out my dad would always let me pick something out from you know one of the stores and we would always go into the house of magic which as you're approaching the train station would have been on the right hand side over the last couple of years they actually put the old house of magic sign back on that um, it's sort of a a mustardy taupe and black covered um, awning. And inside the magic shop, I loved them. I loved magic. Um, I, I never was very good at it, but I was intrigued by it. And they had all these different masks and things like that. And for some reason, this little, I mean, at, at the time in the seventies or eighties, it probably cost, you know, a, a couple of dollars to buy, but it represented those trips into the magic store with me and my dad and you know and i think to 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 paint this with a very broad stroke um you know it's it's a very simple trick until you know the secret but it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of it which i think of is is like walt disney world like if you go behind the scenes at magic kingdom if you go into the utility doors you see how the magic is is made I think it actually enhances your appreciation of Disney as opposed to taking away from it. Um, you know, so we use magic. We use magic in terms of magic, like magic tricks and, and the magic of Disney. But, you know, this little couple of dollars King Tut magic mummy, um, when I found it in in storage, when I moved, like it filled my heart because it brought back those memories of not one, but sort of representative of all those trips to Disney. Now, we all know you know, Steve Martin cut his teeth at the magic shop on Main Street in Disneyland. Is that how he got the inspiration for his song King Tut with that little trick? We'll never know. 
you know what? For purposes of this segment, I'm going to say yes. There you go. <laughs> King Beautiful. Tut, Funky Tut, born Yay. in Arizona, moved to Babylonia. <laughs> Look it up on the YouTube if you don't know what we're talking about. So great. All right. Let's see. How many How many you got left? Uh, listen, to, to quote Captain America, I could do this all day, but uh, I'm, I'm getting down to my last couple. You know what? This, this is a thing I'm about to show that I almost became a completist with this. And I'll have to explain it a little bit because there's no way anyone could ever be a completist in what I'm about to show you. But I was uh, almost a completist in uh, uh, my availability uh, of this this thing. And it's another thing you can't buy. It's another thing that's cost a penny or whatever, but it's another item from my time as a cast member. And these are called um, telecasts. So... Um, T-E-L-A-C-A-S-T. And I'll hold it up to the camera. Lou, you've probably seen these before, right? Yeah. So basically what it is, is it's this little tiny thing that's meant to fit in your pocket. And if you unfold it, it unfolds into like, I mean, you know, 12 different panels. It's It's so long. But the idea is when you're working at, you know, this is the Magic Kingdom one. When you're a cast member there, um, each week you would go in and you'd pick this up. Uh, you pick up a couple copies and, and you'd put them in in your pockets of your costumes and stuff. Um, and this whole thing is, it, it, it has all the information you could possibly want to share with guests. So this is from uh, March 13th, 2016 through March 19th, 2016. And kind of at the beginning, it says, you know, some some things that are going on right now. The Easter bunnies are hopping over to Magic Kingdom from March 14th through the 27th. All this stuff, you know. On the inside, it has all the hours of all of the theme parks when the, you know, here we go, when Fantasmic was. You remember Fantasmic, Lou? What a great thing. When Star Wars fireworks was, when Illuminations was, how long Epcot is open for each day of the week. If you open it up a little bit more, you can see all the entertainment. You can see that there's a, you know incredible super dance party from these hours to these hours. This is when the flag retreat is, et cetera, et cetera. It has all the height requirements for all the attractions around Magic Kingdom. It has where you can get certain you know, uh, 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 food around Magic Kingdom when the transportation systems are running. So this is basically your Bible if you're a cast member. This has all the answers you need um, to help guests with their day in the theme park. If you went to Epcot, you'd get one at Epcot. If you went to Hollywood Studios, you'd have one there, et cetera, et cetera. So I just picked a couple random ones, you know, like um, one I picked, the, the big thing that they're promoting is, remember, we have the Disney Princess Half Marathon going on. Another one says we have an after-hours varsity cheer event, which may God have mercy on all the cast members who have to work at <laughs> varsity cheer events. Those theirs are a little difficult, but but the importance of this is just so that you can help a, a guest out. And and I have a huge stack. I would get one every week, like I would say, and I, I just saved them because for me they remind me of of what it was like to be a cast member, but more importantly, why I wanted to be a cast member. I had so many incredible trips growing up to Walt Disney World that I looked at my time working in the parks as a way to almost give back. Like all the cast members that have helped me have an incredible vacation, I wanted to do the same for 
guests that were in the park when I was working there. So these telecasts were were tools that were able to help me ensure that guests, you know, got all the information they needed, experienced the magic in the best way possible. Um, and it's just something that these were the tools of the trade. You know, these were something I got every single week that helped me do my job. I love looking back on them. I love looking at things we were promoting. Um, I love how sim- simple they are, but how super, super helpful they were. And I also love how not a lot of people, you know, average day guests know anything at all about these things. So that's why they're pretty special to me. So I love that you brought those up because I think you're right. It's one of those things that most guests probably don't even know ever existed. And I smiled throughout because I remember the first time I saw one. And I think it was when I was down here on a solo trip doing research for my first trivia book. And I asked a cast member something and he takes out of his breast pocket this telecast. And it was like... It was like the end of Pulp Fiction. Like there was like this glow from from the thing. I'm like, what is that? Because inside, like it had all the the mysteries of the universe, like answered in this little pamphlet. And I know it's just times and things where I'm like, wait a minute. There's this little guide that they get every week that tells them all those things. And I was fascinated by what it was. And I and I loved the brilliance on Disney's part of of having that available to all the cast members so that any cast member could answer almost any question and be incredibly helpful. Um, So I think, yeah, I think that's, I think it's super, super cool. And again, one of those things that you can't walk into a store and buy. And, you know, there's no actual way to know everything. Like I was, I was very well versed in magic kingdom and Walt Disney world, just being a fan. So I didn't pull these out as much as some of my other coworkers would, but every once in a while, I'd still have to pull that out. You know, I don't know where certain things are because I never had to change a baby before. So I can help you out <laughs> when I pull out this telecast. But Lou, there are some like important phone numbers in the back here that um, it would be fun if you had, uh, like there's some executives confidential voicemails that you could reach out to. So every once in a while, I would see one on the ground, like a cast member would it would fall out of cast member's pocket. I'd like dive to like, you know, grab it so that I guess couldn't see it. And stuff like that. Right. Cause you don't want any guests, you know, prank calling Lee Cockerell. So, well, as I was just about to say, you know, I got Dan Cockerell's confidential voicemail number right here. I don't think it'll go anywhere, but uh, when we're done recording, we're just going to call, you know, prank we'll anchors, baby. <laughs> um, so I, I do have a couple of last ones, and one that I wanted to bring up is is not one that has a any incredible emotional connection. I'm not going to tell all these weepy stories about my dad or my mom or anything like that. But for me, and we'll touch on this in a little bit in terms of holy grails of collectibles, because I think we all have them for, for different reasons. And one, for a long, long time, uh, I did sort of feel like Indiana Jones on his uh, modern day internet hunt for this item that I had never seen since I remember seeing it as a kid. I wanted you to go back in time with me to the 70s to the maybe the mid 80s around 1986 or so. 
In Liberty Square, the Liberty Square's Christmas shop, as you know, is a single store, but if you look carefully, is actually divided into three different yet connected buildings. At one time, when the park opened, that was divided to the Old World Antique Store. There was the uh, Johnny Tremaine, the, the Silversmith Shop, and the third store was Mademoiselle Lafayette's Perfumerie. And this allowed you this store you could go and you could buy off the shelf boxed perfumes like Hermes and Chanel whatever but what was unique about this was that behind the counter they had a number of different fragrances that you could choose from and control the proportions of and create your own personal and clearly very unique perfume that they would mix for you and put into these little bottles. There were all sort of, um, I remember there was glass bottles everywhere and little sort of eyedroppers so that they can sort of, um, like mad scientists, sort of make these different perfumes. And when you made your wife, your mom, your grandma, your daughter, your girlfriend, whatever, one of these unique combinations, they would actually write the formula down for you in this book So if and when you or she or he came back and wanted to recreate that perfume, they were able to look it up, create that same mixture, and do it again. I just thought in terms of unique souvenirs, um, it was super cool. And other than seeing that store as a kid, I was never able to find another perfume bottle, these, these small perfume bottles, for years so it became a quest a quest for fun and a quest for this perfume bottle just because i felt like it was a cool og like opening day opening year walt disney world collectible and i searched for years and then i finally found it and so there on my shelf is my little gold it's me i mean it's maybe a, a two three and there's still perfume in there um I'm gonna. I I probably shouldn't do this. No, no, but. no, no. That perfume is oh. very red. Yes, it is. Oh, it smells. Oh, it smells like grandma. Like it. It smells like grandma perfume. Uh. Um. Oh wait. Let me. I'm gonna put a little dab of this on. If I pass out, Connor, just keep going. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's still. I guess you know, perfume doesn't really go bad or anything. But yeah, it's not like it's not like a you know a like a red wine. But yeah. So I still have my Madame. Mademoiselle Lafayette's perfumery bottle. Again, copyright Walt Disney Productions in my little gold thing. Uh, for no other reason than I just thought it was cool and it was um, an, an old school Walt Disney World artifact. Uh, and they did have one in, in Disneyland too. They had Mademoiselle Lafitte in Disneyland. It was Lafayette in Disney World, I believe. And that's the thing where it's, there's so many things that you could only do in Disney World. I say that a lot about the food that you can eat in Disney World. Like where else could you, you know, eat around the world like this at like an Epcot or whatever? Nowhere. You can only do that here. So those things like making your own perfume, it's not something I would ever like want to do. I don't wake up and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to make my own scent, my own musk and bottle it. But when in Rome, and Rome in this case is Liberty Square, we all think of what great perfumes they had back in colonial times. That's just something that's, it's just fun. It's just 
so unique and, and you can't, you know, I think a lot of people would be, couldn't pass that, you know, store without going in and, and, and trying it for sure. And, um, there's still some things like that in, in, in Disney world. I know the, um, the silhouettes, uh, 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 that they cut out on main street still of, of people, or even the, the parasols that they, um, decorate still are things that you wouldn't think that that's a Disney, uh, souvenir or, or gift that you want, but it's definitely something that people go every year and they get another one. And, and so it's cool. I like it. Nice. Do you have uh, anything on, else? Put that on, see what the wife thinks and Listen, let us I'm know. I'm feeling a little woozy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, okay. It was probably not a good idea. <laughs> it's all right. I need some Walt Disney World smelling oh. salt at this point. Well, I was about to say, you know how you always watch cooking shows that say, "Oh, I wish you had smell vision right now." I'm, I'm happy I don't. <laughs> I, I'm sure the scent's fine. All right, so here's my, here's my last one. This is something that has been in, you know, a, a priority mail thing from eBay for a very long time, and eventually I want to frame it. Um, it's just right now is not the time or the place. And I, I know you've seen this before, Lou. This is a um, an insert from the Orlando Sentinel, also the Orlando Evening Star, Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom, right? So they did this big insert back in, this is dated Wednesday, October 27th, 1971. So it talks it's all about, you know, the opening of, of Disney World. And, you know, we think of the opening as October 1st, but October 1st was really like a, like a soft opening almost. The, the actual day when it was dedicated was, was later in the month. So that's why, you know, this insert coming out at October 27th um, makes sense. Um, it's very delicate. It's, it's definitely, uh, uh, you got to handle it with care. Um, but there's a lot of cool people they talk about show, uh, showing up, like Glenn Campbell. Uh, they got Fess Parker. There's Bob Hope, Fred McMurray, Cesar Romero, Julie Andros. Uh, Julie Andros was filming a television show, uh, so she's on one of the double-decker bus, buses there. Um, and it just goes into how it was how it was built, um, why it's important to Orlando. There's this big, um, and it's kind of hard to show you, but there's this big map that just talks all about um, the Magic Kingdom, and it's it's a it's a, 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 a not a fold out, but it it's cover to cover. Like um, I can't remember what we call these, but um, it talks about every single land. It talks about Tomorrowland and and Main Street, and there's this really cool section that says Magic Kingdom as seen through the eyes of, and then it says how a 66-year-old sees it, how a 36-year-old sees it, how a six-year-old sees it, and they interview people along the way. So it's it's really cool. I want to frame this section, this map that they have on the inside um, someday. For me, this is very significant because, um, you know, I've actually never been to Disneyland, um, which is crazy. I know. It's a life goal of mine, of course. Um for many, Disneyland is is the 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 big thing, and and it's definitely the big thing for me. But if Disneyland existed, and Walt Disney World was never created, then I wouldn't be here. 
Walt Disney World is is my home. It's much like you, Lou. You know, you would go in the summers with your family. Walt Disney World is what created your love of the theme parks. So this signifies the opening of my favorite place in the world. Of course, it couldn't have existed if Disneyland didn't open almost 20 years before and, and have all that success and whatnot. But for me, that signifies when my favorite place opened and then, you know, years later that I would get to experience it and how impactful it would uh, be on my life, um, of course. So one day I, I, I want to frame that so that I can put that up and, and kind of show a piece of history of how it impacted the Orlando community, of course. But even more so, Lou, um, I bought that from one Lou Mangello on eBay many, what? many years ago. <laughs> Yes, I did. Before we, you know, knew each other or whatever, um, I I saw that 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 you were selling those things, and I was like, I have to have that thing that looks incredible. So um, I bought that from you. Wow, that's crazy, man! I had no idea. Yeah, I uh, man, you charged me an arm and a leg <laughs> for it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that those are the pieces that I try to seek out the 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 unique things like you'd never think oh yeah I'm, I'm we got that orlando sentinel uh, uh fold out for sure but it's done so well and it's such an important piece of history um that that that's why i i i really really like it i love that man not because you know we we both had it and 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 loved it but because of of what it is and, and the same thing it's part of your story and and what it represents to and for you um just a couple of small quick little things you know when i look around when i was looking around my room before this i looked at different items that you know i thought were cool or meant something to me like i have a big fig on my shelf of samurai mickey which again i I don't care the fact if it's rare or not i know there was only 300 made it's a randy noble design but for me it, it it represents the the merging of my loves of Disney and Japan in this cool figure. I'm not a big fig collector as it were, but I loved this figure as soon as I saw it um, and decided to get it. Uh, I also have on my shelf a stanchion, a bat stanchion from Haunted Mansion. Um, it was a gift to me. I don't know anything about its history or provenance as it were um how it got here what it is where it came from all i know is that on my shelf man oh man it sure looks and feels like a stanchion from the haunted mansion in uh in in walt disney world and i think the last thing i would mention is and and again i i i qualify and i preface this by what i said before like i'm not an autograph seeker um, I, I never have been, I don't, you know, go to people and say, Oh, cause I have your autograph. Cause it doesn't matter. I, it's more about, I'd rather have the moment than the conversation to take away. But on my shelf, I have a, um, a, a Mary Poppins album. Um, I have, um, sheet music from it's a small world. And I actually have a, a small CD and, they're signed by Richard Sherman, but more importantly, the 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 
importance for me is in what he wrote. And and I I was hesitant to say this because I don't want to seem like I'm trying to drop a name or not, but I've I've shared um how the opportunity to to meet people and to interview people and and in his case to have a, a friendship with somebody whose work I've enjoyed and admired and appreciated and and tried to pass down to, you know, my my family is in itself so meaningful, but when somebody like him takes the time to write something that's personal um, and meaningful and, and um, representative of the friendship that we shared, like that matters to me. You know what I mean? It wouldn't matter if it's, if he signed sheet music or if he signed the back of a napkin, it, it's sort of just indicative of the blessing that I have been able to have in terms of, of doing this, um, you know, for so many years. Uh, look, man, I, and this sort of flies in the face of everything that we're doing now. And, and I'm in this weird, you know, stage of my life as I get older, um, where I'm, I'm realizing and maybe due in part because of, you know, the passing of my mother and having to clean out <laughs> houses full of stuff. It's just stuff, man. It is just stuff. And if you've got photos, and I think even more importantly, the memories, like, that's the most important thing of all. Um, and we'll sort of touch on it at the minute. But I, the one question I wanted to ask you, two questions, a couple of questions I have to ask you was, I, I'm sure you've gotten this question before. We all sort of have the question like, God forbid there's a fire, right? And all, everybody's out. All, everybody, all the kids are safe and the pets and the, you know, important documents are safe. You can only grab one item as you run out of your apartment. What would it be? It's my uh, framed name tag for sure because all of these other things are are fantastic um, and they're all significant to me, but that's the one where I was in total control. I was in control of creating my memories during that stretch where I was a cast member. So that's what's the most significant to me. It's a goal I always wanted to have, becoming a cast member. Um, and then my memories from actually being it, that's that's definitely it it for me. Is there anything um the paper I bought for you I would throw into the fire? It's hopefully a distraction. <laughs> <clears throat> distraction. I'd yell distraction at the fire. Right. I'm yeah. sure that's, that's an excellent strategy. Kids do not try that at home, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um is there anything over the years that you have seen whether it be for sale at a flea market on eBay or at a store that you missed out on that you wish like, Oh God, I wish I would have bought that when I had the opportunity. This is going to sound very weird, but we talked about a little bit, you know, buying a piece of the theme park. And over the years I've, I've seen many different ones. And a lot of the time they're just like, out of my price range, but it's so silly, but a piece of the birthday cake castle 20th anniversary, (laughs) because for me, I think I actually remember it. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. And, And it's one of those things where I don't know if you remember it because you had photos of yourself being there as a kid or, or, or if you actually remember it, but I remember it. I love how, ridiculous it was and i love how everyone has a story of it who was there 
or when they hear about it, they're like, there's no way that actually happened, right? Like, oh, it is. If I point you into my den, you can see a piece of it. You know, that's <laughs> my, that would be like the, the, the dream just for telling a great story. I'd probably frame a picture of what the castle actually looked like next to it. Um, I know it's silly, but, but, but that's something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're right. Everybody who was there has a story about the castle cake. I do. I won't share it here right now. Maybe I'll share it on a live show one night. Um, I, I may have told it once before. Um, I will only say this, that my experience with the castle cake, it has nothing to do with Disney or anything Disney did at all. Um, just a, a personal thing that happened there was so not awesome that I literally left. and I was like, well, I guess I'm not going back to Disney World ever again. What? Yeah. Dude, why are you teasing <laughs> like that, huh? Um, <laughs> for me, you know, as you were saying that, so here's something. Did you know, and I, I was just telling somebody about this the other night when I was in Epcot because they're, obviously Epcot's in a, a transformative stage right now and they are bringing back that um, three sort of pronged prism in front of Spaceship Earth, which actually calls back to what was there originally in 1982. Did you know that the original prism that was there Disney sold on eBay? Really? Way back when, when eBay first started and Disney's like, we need to get on this eBay thing. Disney themselves would actually sell theme park merchandise and props on eBay. So that was for sale there. I've told the story before. I'll tell it very quickly. At one point, they were selling... Though I think it was Disney. Somebody was no, maybe it wasn't Disney. Disney sold it, and then somebody else had it. You could actually buy the front car of Monorail Red. It was the old Mark Five, I think. Monorail Red. I'll never forget. I went down to my parents in South Florida. I showed my dad. I'm like, Dad, check this out. The Monorail is for sale on eBay, and he's like, Oh, you should put a bid on it. Like it'll just be fun. And it was like. Two days into the auction, I'm like, Dad, like the high bid is like something crazy. It was like $29,000, whatever it was. He's like, come on, come on, just do it. He's like, bid like $30,000 and like, you know, $30,001. He's like, it's not going to even, it won't even be the high bid. I'm sure somebody else has a higher bid. He's like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And so I did it and I had the high bid, my hand to God, I had the high bid on Monterey for $30,001. And I'm sweating. And I'm like, Dad, what did you make me do? He's like, hey, man, you're on your own. This is your name on the account. <laughs> like, like Dad, dude. So I'm like sweating for like, I mean, it wasn't even 24 hours before somebody outbid it. But I'm like, okay, one, how do I explain this to my wife? Two, I have a very small backyard. Where am I going to put this thing? Then again, I could put picnic tables inside. It could be pretty cool. But where I was going to come up with $30,000 for Monterey Red, um, I have no idea. And there was actually a Horizons vehicle um, for sale at one point, too. But, you know, it was thousands of dollars. And, and what are you going to do with a Horizons vehicle in your house? Um, I don't know. I was thinking about where the front car of Monorail Red would fit in my one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> and I don't think it would. I think there, there are a, several places. When I lived down in, in Florida and was working there, there was a place called um, uh, Theme Park Connection. I don't think 
they're if they're in business they're only online right now but they used to have a warehouse that you could go to and i would go there all the time it was so much fun to see all sorts of stuff that they had um i know around there the lakeland um uh antique market Mm -hmm. has a lot of stuff from disney and then as a cast member i always used to go to uh cast connections and there was uh, uh a section there where you know, it wasn't ever a monorail, right? It wasn't ever uh, a vehicle, but um, you could buy like whenever they did a refurbishment at one of the resorts, you could buy like a bed there or a side table or stuff like that. So they had a lot of a lot of cool stuff. So I think suffice to say is there's a lot of stuff out there mm-hmm. for people to to look and find and and maybe one day acquire. If you could have any one ride vehicle from an attraction, assuming you had room in your apartment, what would it be? People mover. If you could have Matt, any no, any prop, mover. any prop from any attraction, what would it be? Any prop. Any prop. Man, that one's tough. Shoot. I guess I mean a prop like Significance, I got to go with significance. So like a gemstone from Mind Train um, um, just because of, of my history with that. But I would say like a coin or a cup from like Pirates, like Caribbean, that would be pretty awesome as well. What about a prop? If you, if, what about a prop from a movie? Any sort of Disney movie prop you would love to have on your shelf? Now I'm just trying to think of what I saw from... Uh, uh, Dan Lanigan show prop culture if you gave me something from the original Muppet movie I would lose my mind like like that would be incredible I just read I highly recommend the Jim Henson biography by a guy named Brian J. Jones it's incredible Um, but I think if, if you gave me something from one of those I would I would lose my mind if you could have one person's signature an autograph from someone who would it be well, I mean, I think the the, and this kind of goes in into it, but this is the holy grail. It's Walt Disney, you know. I mean, it's like, and and I would say, if you want to give me one of Walt Disney's, you know, Scotch glasses or or, or something, just paperweight or whatever, something that he used uh, uh, or whatever, uh, that the uh, holy grail for sure. Yeah, like you said, man. There's um, there's a ton of stuff that's out there. Um, there's a ton of t- and and you know, value in terms of dollar value. Um, you don't you don't have to spend a lot to be a collector. Um, you know, you can collect theme park maps. Um, you know, if you wanna if you wanna try and go out and collect some of the Charlotte Clark Mickey and Minnie dolls that are like one hundred fifty thousand dollars each, you can go get those too. Um, she was a uh, she was a designer. She designed the first Mickey Mouse doll back in like 1930 or so. Oh, um, she got permission from Disney and literally started like sewing these Mickey Mouse dolls by hand. And then obviously demand um, overwhelmed her. And then she had a little store and they were producing like only like a few hundred, only a couple hundred dolls per week. Um, but yeah, the original ones are, are super valuable. Uh, and look, if you if you want to start being a collector 
right? You have to sort of just ask yourself some questions and think about like, you know, what, not only what do you want to start collecting, but why, you know, why do you want to collect them? Why do you want to save them? Um, You know, where, where is the value to you? Um, And look, it could be, like I said, it could be pressed pennies, vinylmations, sum sums, ephemera, guides, books, newspapers, pins, uh, which can get expensive, you know, Um, and, um, you know, anything from the the small to the large. Um, I, I've been actually doing the opposites. I've been trying to, if you notice on my shelves, my shelves have gotten a little bit less cluttered and crowded, as has my closet and garage and, and storing. Because for the last while, I, I came to the realization for a number of reasons that, you know, it's time to start letting go of some of these things. Because I, one, I realize that they're they're just things and having things in in boxes in my garage doesn't help anybody right i'd rather share them with other people who um might be able to um you know enjoy them more than i am and just sort of minimize and sort of really pare down to the things that are most meaningful um it's why i've been selling on ebay and this is not meant to sound like a plug for for ebay but it is because i continue to you know put up 10 items every week to sell from things in my personal collection that I have accumulated over the years. And and I'm really trying to whittle down to those, not just what do I grab in case of a fire things, but those, you know, five or 10 things that have the most significance to me. Whereas some of these things might be um, like you with the newspaper might be, um, you know, significant for others as well. And as more, you know, hoarders, I mean, collectors like yourself start parting with it, I, I do appreciate that, Lou, that that I can then find more things out there that could mean more sentimental value to me or that I'd love to show in, in my collection. And, and that's life, you know, it just keeps getting passed. And I think I also like the, the, the eBay purchases because I just feel like I'm another part of that hit that that piece's chapter uh, you know a chapter in in that piece's book you know someone had it before me i don't know what they did i don't know what the significance was but they had it for whatever reason um so i like seeing that so this is an interesting question for you has there ever been a thing that you bought and when it came in the mail or you brought it back home or you unboxed it you were like what was i thinking <laughs> I, I the answer is probably yes, which is probably why so much stuff has been put up on eBay. Point, like, yeah. why did I buy the? Okay, there is, and it's something I have almost been unable to get rid of. So, again, huge Star Wars fan, you know, from the original trilogy, and when the sequel prequels were announced, my little seven year old brain just exploded. Right, so I was all in. Like, I was going out and I was going to Toys R Us and I stayed online like for hours until midnight and I bought, you know, two of all the original figures and all these different things. And I don't know how I ended up with this Star Wars episode one, like store display sign in my garage. It's, I I don't know what, and it has no significance to me, no value I didn't love the prequels. I don't love the prequels. And it's almost like I 
I, what am I going to do with this thing? Like, what am I going to do with this now? Um, what was I thinking? In terms, I think, let me, I'll boil it. What was I thinking buying any episode one merch? I was about to say, don't you have a life-size cutout of Jar Jar Binks that you proudly display in your in your home as well? There's a lot of stuff that I couldn't even <laughs> with a straight face put up on eBay. It was garage sales or local Goodwill. I've donated yeah. a lot of episode one toys. So there's a lot of really yeah. sad kids in the Orlando area. And I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Santa Lou coming to you with sweet, <laughs> sweet episode one merch. What? You don't want a Watto and a, and a, and a Padme? A Watto and a Watto? Huh? No. <laughs> um, any Holy Grail for you? Any like, I mean, other than maybe Walt's signature or anything like, oh, well, I guess we said, you know, the, the, the piece of the castle. Piece of the castle. Um, I think those ticket books, uh, um, probably for sure. Um, and, you know, Holy Grail, I think it's, it's, it's something that's, it, it doesn't have to be from the past. It can be from the future. It's something that's, you know, going to, have significance to me down the line, whether it's, you know, my, uh, when I have kids in, in 40 years, you know, their first set of, uh, Mickey mouse ears or, or something like that. So I think, you know, when you're looking to collect, think about historic things and things that, you know, you have some connection to, but also think about things that are personal to you and, and signify something in, in your time. Um, so yeah, it's not so much holy grail, but I think I'm excited for for the future of of my collecting and 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 my future memories that I will make. Yeah, it's less about being a, a completist and I have to have everything that was made in this series or as part of this thing as opposed to the the significant ones. Um I and I know Connor would love now to hear from you. I want you to share your favorite item, your collection, your collectibles, whether it be an individual items, how you display them in your home or office or car, whatever it might be. And what I want to do is I'm going to post uh, in the WW Radio Clubhouse, that is our group on Facebook, where you can go in and share some of your photos. If you'd like to share photos or videos on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, I'd ask you to please tag me at Lou Mangiello to make sure that I see it. And uh, I'll obviously post photos in the show notes for this podcast at www.radio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Connor's going to take some pretty photos. I'll take some relatively halfway decent photos of the collectibles that we talked about. So as you're listening, you can actually go and take a look and see exactly what it is that we are talking about. Um, I, I want to leave you, though, with one bit of, of fatherly-ish advice. Um, and and I think this is probably just, a, again, in this time of life that I'm, I'm going through now where I'm, I'm finding that I don't need all of those tangible reminders i think the the most important collectibles should not be the things but be the memories i think sometimes we are i think we almost have to be less consumed with being a consumer of things as opposed to being present in the moment when we are you know at the parks or or with our families um you know 
my, my favorite collectible and my favorite collection is is um, not even the photographs I have, but the but the memories that I have and that I can access any time. I don't need something to see or touch to remind me things. Um, you know, some photos are great reminders, but um, sometimes if you're left alone with nothing but your thoughts and you have those memories of visiting Walt Disney World with family and friends or whatever, those I think for me have become my most prized possessions. In addition to the friendship that you have extended to me. I'm pointing to you, listener, and you, Connor Brown. Uh, I love this idea. I love this conversation. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your collection, your memories, and your stories with us. Now, what I need you to share is where people can find you, what they can find when they get there, and tell them a little bit about something else that they can add to their collection of books on their shelves as well. So... I am very happy because I think my stacked up. I thought I was going to be blown out of the water by Olive Lou's uh, uh, little you know, what, trinkets wait, say, and, and say stuff that again. like you that. You cut out for a second. What, what do you think was going to be blown out of the water? I thought my collection was going to be blown out of the water by Lou's collection, but I think I I, I hung tough, and I think uh, uh, I'm happy about that. So I love talking about all these fun things in our collection and and all that nostalgia and and um, fun stories we shared with all of that. But for me, um, if you do want to hear more from me, head over to wdwopinion.com. It's a blog and it's a podcast, a weekly podcast where we help you plan for and daydream about your next perfect Walt Disney World vacation. Um, I also wrote a book about my time working at Walt Disney World You could probably tell from this conversation that being a cast member was very, very important to me. Um, And if you ever wanted to know what a day in the life of a cast member is, whether it was my time working at the Yacht Club or working um, at the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you're definitely going to want to check that book out. It's called Yacht Club to Diamond Mind. If you go over to WDWOpinion.com, you can uh, learn more about that. Or on Amazon, you can just type in Yacht Club to Diamond Mind. It'll pop right up. Um, but yeah, head over to WDWOpinion.com. We got a whole bunch of other goodies and fun stuff, um, and we'd love to have you. We can talk more Disney there, um, of course. But thank you, Lou, as always, for having me on the show. Thank you, man. This has been a lot of fun. And again, continue the conversation by going to WDWRadio.com slash clubhouse and share your photos, your memories, and maybe even some of your holy grail of collectibles as well. Um, oh, by the way, at wdwradio.com slash eBay is where you'll find my eBay auctions. If someone if someone shares that they got a piece of that uh, birthday cake castle, I'm going to be, I'm going to, as the kids say, slide into their DMs and see <laughs> how much they want to sell it for. <laughs> because I am in the market. Listen, you got a hot buyer on the line, man. I would. Uh... <laughs> you know, I was tempted to say my biggest collection is all of Lou Mangello's books, but I didn't want to be that much of a of a kiss up. No, you can. You can totally kiss up. Oh, okay. I love all of his books. It's 
time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, taste, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, view last week's, and select our winner. So as we get into the holiday spirit, last week I asked you to tell me where in Walt Disney World is Christmas celebrated all year round? And I gave you a hint that obviously there's probably more than one location. It may be an attraction, and it might not be an attraction. First, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered and got this one correct, or mostly correct, because I was looking for not one, not two, not three, but I counted six different locations where Christmas is celebrated all year round. The locations I have are Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress in Magic Kingdom, Christmas scene. Also in Magic Kingdom, Ye Old Christmas Shop. Speaking of Christmas shops, over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, it's a wonderful shop, staying within the parks, but we'll go over to Epcot Center, specifically World Showcase, Dein Weinheit's Dein... Die, the Christmas Corner in the Germany Pavilion. Forgive me for butchering the language, but I tried. Also staying in shops over at Disney Springs. There's the Disney Days of Christmas shops. And don't forget, too, Winter Summerland Mini Golf also celebrates Christmas all year round. Whether you got all six, one, three, five, it doesn't matter. As long as you sort of gave it a good effort and got one of them correct, I entered you to win last week's prize, which includes... All of my digital products, my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours in the park in binaural audio where I take you with me through all seven lands of the Magic Kingdom. Both of those, by the way, still available at www.radio.com as well as on Amazon and Apple Music. And I'm also going to include my brand new Disney interviews book, which was just released 12 interviews, including some backstories about how the interviews came to be and what happened before and after the record button was hit. Julie Andrews, Marty Sklar, Richard Sherman, Dave Smith, a 12 different interviews of Disney legends who worked with or knew and helped preserve the legacy of Walt Disney. You can find out more and order your copy on Amazon or Kindle at DisneyInterviews.com. But last week's winner, who's going to get that book, randomly selected is... David Racker from Angwin, California. So, David, I have your email. I will send your link out to download the book, the audio tours, actually both books and the audio tours uh, right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I've been feeling incredibly nostalgic for a variety of reasons as of late, and when my mom passed recently, I went to her house and found literally boxes and boxes of photographs um, from some of our early trips to Walt Disney World. And, and really, I think those formative trips that made me love Disney so much and really brought me to this time and where we are right now. And one of the photos really intrigued me because it was a, something that I had sort of forgotten about for a long time. So I want you to tell me what or where was the Sunshine State Exhibitorium in Walt Disney World. The Sunshine State Exhibitorium. You have until Sunday, December 13th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast link, 
There you'll find the form. Again, just tell me what or where was the Sunshine State Exhibitorium. And again, you're going to have a chance to win the 102 Ways to Save Money for that Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours, and my brand new Disney Interviews book. So good luck and have fun. By the way, Disney Interviews book makes a great holiday gift. Just say. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Please don't forget to be part of the community and conversation by going over to www.radio.com slash community, finding out all the different ways you can be part of our WW Radio family, including a direct link to our Facebook group, the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash group. Don't forget to join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live on Facebook. Also, be sure to not only join the clubhouse but like the ww radio page and turn on notifications as i often go live from the parks in addition to the wednesday night show including this coming week i plan on going to the taste of epcot international festival of the holidays sharing some of the food obviously as well as entertainment that's going on there thanks everybody who joined me last week for the live video portion of our resort report from disney's riviera resort really enjoy that if you missed it you can watch it on the replay again it's posted in the ww radio clubhouse at wwradio.com slash group you can also connect with me on social including instagram where i post a lot on my posts and stories it's instagram.com slash and i am also at lou on facebook linkedin and twitter as well Obviously, I'd love to hear from you, not just about this week's show, but anything in general. Again, I want you to come over to the clubhouse and post your photos of your collection and check out some other people's photos as well. And I'd also love to hear from you literally. So if you want to call into the WW Radio voicemail, you can call 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 with a question, a comment, or just talking about this or one of your favorite past episodes. Speaking of thanks and family and love, I want to give huge thanks to everyone who is part of the WW Radio Nation family. I sincerely appreciate your love, support, friendship and help and I am grateful to you each and every day and I love giving back to you with all the different rewards each and every month I want to thank some new and longtime members including Victoria Gist Monica Gransky, Randy Weiss Carrie and Katie Haynes if you want to find out how you can help the show and get some of those rewards each and every month including scavenger hunts, trivia quests we have a private Facebook group magic band covers, logo gear backpacks, t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World and exclusive live video group calls and more you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Again, it's completely optional, a great way for you to not only help the show, but show your support for WW Radio. And please don't forget that while your contribution starts at as little as a dollar a month, a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. To learn more and join the family, visit www.radio.com slash support. The new year is rapidly approaching. It's all about new resolutions, new opportunities, and new ways that you can take some of those first steps to turn what you love into what you do. I'm actually forming a brand new Tuesday night mastermind group that is going to launch right after the first of the year. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to talk about our goals, things that we're working on, accountability, ideation, perspective. You also get a private one-on-one video call with me each and every month. For more details, I don't want to spend too much time here. I don't like to feel like I'm promoting too much. Visit loumangelo.com slash coaching. 
to see if the group is right for you. You can also email, message me if you have any questions. The one thing I will say, though, is that it's one thing to try and work on an idea, a business, a blog, whatever it might be by yourself. But the thing that helped me most in in my journey was becoming part of a mastermind group years ago. It profoundly and positively impacted me and my business in ways that nothing else has, which is why I want to help you. Please just let me know how. Again, you can just visit loumangelo.com. Also, be sure to visit mousefantravel.com. They are my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you are planning your next vacation or just have questions about what is coming up for Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, or any destination, Becky Mankin and her team of agents will help you get the best possible price, all available discounts, answer all of your questions with an incredible level of personal service. And remember, it all comes at no cost to you. You really do have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go and visit mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. It is so, so very helpful. So whether you want to tweet out that you're listening, share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook and encourage your friends to listen and and join the community. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. Even if you listen on Spotify or somewhere else, it is incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers, including Andre from Canada, who says it's a fantastic podcast. Been listening for years. I love Lou's positive energy and lack of cynicism. He's 100% sincere as an enthusiasm and love for all things Disney. As so-called adults, we can sometimes feel embarrassed about our Disney enthusiasm. But Lou's podcast provides a welcome outlet where it's all okay. As a reformed lawyer, it's also nice that Lou doesn't take himself too seriously. Trust me, I don't. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Andre. Kennedy826 says, simply the best podcast. The enthusiasm is infectious. Is, is infectious. His knowledge is outstanding and his guests are always worth a listen. The podcast make my hour drive to work tolerable. Keep doing what you're doing. And Tom says, this guy cares. Not only is it one of the best podcasts around, this guy, Lou, really pours his heart and soul into every episode. He's your friend, whether we have met yet or not. Tom, Kennedy, and Andre, thank you. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time. Again, just search for WW Radio and Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for a link to exactly how to do it. Finally, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. I love and appreciate you more than words can express. I hope that the show and the other things that I get to share in the show and the blog and social and the community just makes your day happier, has a positive impact and influence on you, and maybe even inspires you to be a little bit better, to go out and choose the good. There's a lot of power in those three words because you have the power to make choices and make decisions and find the good in everything that you do and experience. And by being the good, you might have that positive ripple effect on other people as well. I hope that this truly is your best week ever. If there's ever anything I can do to say thank you to you, to help you in any way, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to me directly. I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Kim calling from Michigan. Um, I'm a little behind on your podcast. So I want to tell you about a quiet spot that I think you and Tim missed out on in the Magic Kingdom, and that is the TTA, the Tomorrow Transit Authority. It's quiet. It's relaxing. You can get out of the sun. Um, 
it can kind of lull you to sleep with the moving, and it's usually never busy, so you can keep writing it over and over again. Um, I know you can't do any work there, but when our daughter was younger and overstimulated from being in the parks, we would always go up there, and it would just be a great reset. Also, on our last trip, at the end of October, I found a secret spot. I don't know if it's that secret. It's um, between uh, – or it's – just by the Beauty and the Beast Theater in Hollywood Studios uh, and the shops. If you uh, go back there, there are some benches or rather seating around some trees along with an outlet where you can charge some stuff and it's in the shade. Um, so if you're willing to, um, you know, work on your lap or sit down lean against the, the brick of the building, you can do that and I spent a good hour there um, waiting for my family to ride Tower of Terror, and there was several people who came back there to um, one person napped in their um, amigo, another person brought their kid back there to take a nap, and so um, I had not discovered that until our last trip. So uh, thanks for the podcast as always, and uh, have a great one. Hi, Lou. This is Chrissy from Anchorage, Alaska. I'm calling to tell you how much I love this show. I started listening about a year ago in preparation for actually my March 2020 trip. So we were there at Disney World the day that it closed. Um, right now in Anchorage, the sun just got up, 9.30 in the morning, wishing that I was in Florida with you all. Um I just watched or listened to your show about Epcot and soundtracks, and my absolute favorite is Illuminations, the Reflections of Earth. So just calling to say thank you for all the amazing talks that you've done, and I hope you have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Hello, this is Darlene Nagy, the new half-marathoner from the Space Coast this past weekend. It was so wonderful being there, and I am formerly of West Seneca, New York. And thanks to Allie Miller for helping me get my new tagline. <laughs> we had a wonderful time with the Warrant Running Team, and I am so thankful and grateful for that family. I'm getting choked up. Sorry. Um, they really helped me get through the whole marathon of the half, um, and Cindy Duffin, I have to say, she was wonderful getting me into the interval running. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without any of them, and congratulations to the Hoffmans for their first half marathon with me and everybody that was involved, and I know the countdown for the cruise is off, and I'm so very sorry, but there will be cruises in the future, and now we have your Italy trip to count down to. So there you go. You have something to look forward to. Stay positive. Please wear your masks and stay healthy. Love and hugs and thank you once again for getting me through my first half marathon. I love you guys. 